Well, we welcome you once again to the series of messages that we've been doing uh, since the first week after Easter. And these are entitled Financial Freedom. And uh, today we're in part five of the Financial Freedom series. And what we've done, and I want to review just for a moment, we've looked at the three laws of physical balance and recognized that those laws of physical balance also relate to our financial balance, our financial margins. And so the first law of physical balance was to have a proper reference point, right? If you're um, on a, on a tightrope and you're, you're looking at a specific object in front of you and uh, it, it, you, to keep your balance, you're looking at that uh, reference point on the horizon. And we discovered from Scripture that our reference point as uh, Christians is uh, that we need to be known what? Where our money's going, Right. We need to be aware of what we're doing with our money. And that's in our earning, in our savings, in our spending, and in our giving. We need to be knowing where our money's going. And we encourage you to create a system so that you can track where your money's going. And then we looked at another um, uh, law of physical balance, and that was to have a clear objective. Uh, again, if you're on uh, the New York side of the Niagara Falls, uh, you're looking over to Ontario, Canada, and that's where you want to go, and that's your clear objective. And if you're in Ontario, you're looking back at New York, and that's your clear objective. And we discovered uh, from that amazing passage in First uh, Chronicles 29, we discovered that um, our, our clear objective in all of our finances is always the same thing, and it's this. It's to honor God. To honor God in our earning, to honor God in our spending, to honor God in our saving, and to honor God in our giving. Everything, because everything we have, even our ability, Deuteronomy 6 tells us, even our ability to make a buck is for a gift from God. The hands that you have, the mind that God has given you, the creativity, the ingenuity, all the things that God has given you in order to make a living and to create income in this world is all a gift from God. So everything, every part of our, our earning and spending and giving and, and saving, all of that is a gift from God and we are to honor God in everything we do. He created you and he supplied you and gifted you with the ability to make a living. We are to honor God. So let me ask this question. How are we doing on that? How are you doing in honoring God in all of your finances? So many times, even as Christians, we say, God, uh, you're, you're awesome. I need you when I have trouble and when I'm in pain and I love you. and all that. But over here is our money. And we say, well, just God, when it comes to the money, just leave me alone. I'll throw you a bone. I'll throw you 10%. And just leave me alone. And the, but God says, no, I want, to honor, I want you to honor me in everything you do with the money that God has given you. A couple, I talked to a couple this week and they we were talking about the sermon series. And they said they have done something new and different in their lives before they make any purchase, before they decide what to give, what to save, they are asking God, what does it mean to honor you in my money? What does it mean to honor you in my savings, in my giving, in my spending? And when we start doing that, your life, literally, this is a game changer, your life is never the same. When you honor God in all that you have. Because remember, God wants to give you something. He doesn't want to take something away. You know, many times you think that when it comes to money that God wants to take something away. He wants to give you something. And those things that he wants to give you is peace and freedom. That's what God wants to give you in honoring him with all your money. And then the third uh, law of physical balance uh, is uh, constant corrections. 
Constant course corrections. Again, if you're on that tight wire and you're holding this balancing rod and you're constantly making course corrections. Uh, if you're, <clears throat> if you uh, have see that uh, red and blue and white light in your rearview mirror and you pull over and he asks you to walk on a chalk line, oh, you want to make sure that you walk on it straight or you'll find yourself, you know, in the back seat with the St. Bernard. You know, it's important that you have constant course corrections. And two weeks ago, we looked at one of those course corrections being uh, debt. What do we do with debt? And the Bible is very clear that we are not to owe any man anything. Because when we do that, he becomes our what? Our master. Okay? So we want to remove debt in our personal lives. And, and then when we remove debt, then what that does is it creates space, margin, to be generous. And then last week, uh, Pastor Brandon talked about greed, a course correction. And he talked about how that, that creates, again, when you don't have greed in your life, and we all have a tendency to be that way. We all have a tendency to be greedy. So let's be honest about that. But when we allow the Holy Spirit to kind of move into our lives, it gives us more space for margins and generosity. And, and so today, we want to look at the third course correction, and that third course correction is spending. Spending. And I want to look at what is it that gets us in trouble and you might want to ask yourself this question. What is it that drove me to get into debt? Um, is there something in me that's causing me to not think clearly when it comes to money? Uh, have I leased something that now I can't even find? It's in my garage, right? I can't even find it. Uh, what is it in me that's caused me to spend money when I shouldn't spend it? So that's one of the questions you want in your head. And then I want to give you the answer to the question and then we're going to look at scripture to kind of confirm that answer. So here is the answer to why we spend when we shouldn't spend. And it's one word and it's discontentment. Discontentment. Now, I made a definition up and it's not you won't find it in Webster's, but here's this discontentment. Dissatisfaction that I have with what I have. We have a dissatisfaction with the things that we have. And uh, that causes uh, dissatisfaction in our lives. That's discontentment. Now, the word that I would like to associate with discontentment, and these are linked together, and we'll see that throughout the scripture that we look at and throughout the whole message. The word that I'd like to link with discontentment is this, awareness. Say it with me. Awareness. Okay, you're awake. Very good. Now, if you fall asleep during the message, I want you to remember one thing. Because this is, believe me, a game changer. And you'll see that as we unfold the scripture today. This is a game changer. And that is the relationship between discontentment and awareness. Discontentment and awareness. See, when we open our eyes to something that is in us, when we are aware of something that we don't have, that's when that discontentment comes into our lives. Let me give you a couple of examples. So um, you're very happy with your house. Uh, God provided the house. When you moved in, you thought, man, this is awesome. I, I love my house and, and we can afford it. And it's a great house. We're going to decorate it. And then somebody uh, invites you to their house. Right. And they live in a, not in your neighborhood, of course, because, you know, but they live in another neighborhood. You know, one of those neighborhoods that have a gate that closes and you can't get in without the secret triple password, you know. And, and, so, and so you go into their house and they invite you in, you know, and you come in and you look. And you say, I didn't know they made ceilings this high. 
and you're looking around and, and you go into their bathroom and their bathroom is as big as your house. And I, I, I didn't know they made bathrooms that looked like this, you know. And you look at their kitchen, and it's this expansive, beautiful thing, granite, and pans hanging from the ceiling, and all kinds of cool stuff. And say, man. And so, and so then, after you had a nice evening with your friends, you go home. And you walk into your house. Now, this house that you were very satisfied with, you were very blessed with, just two years before, and now you walk into your house, and you feel like, man, the, the ceiling's going to crush in on me, and... And how can I squeeze my rear end into this bathroom and, and the kitchen? How can we ever cook anything? And so you, you, as soon as you're aware of something that you don't have, you tend to have, and I say you, I'm talking about me too, there tends to be this, this moment of discontentment. In our culture, this is what we call progress. And it's about bigger, better, shinier, newer, faster. Now, I grew up as a child in the 1950s, a teen in the 1960s. Let's take a look at a picture of a television. Okay. Now, that television on, uh, on your left, we had one that looked just like that. Now, on that, how many of you remember those televisions? Okay, you're old. Okay. Okay. So, I remember that. And, and it looks pretty good there, but the screen is like 10 inches, right? And, uh, and it was, uh, you know, when you see these things in people's houses today, they're usually aquariums. You know, they put fish or flowers in them. And, and if you were to come to my house and you saw a TV like that, you'd think, oh man, this guy's really in bad shape. You know, how do you, how do you watch the Diamondbacks lose on something like that? And, oh, so I shouldn't say that. And, 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 and that's, that's kind of the TV that I grew up with. And I, I would never settle for that today. I mean, now, flat screen, plasma, how skinny is it? I mean, we're now we're not worrying about how fat the TV is, but how skinny is the TV? And, and, and there's that discontentment in our soul. We, uh, the church every Christmas, you, the church, uh, gives us a gift. You give all of the staff in your church a monetary gift at Christmas. And it's always a great blessing. And, and ten years ago, when we first, uh, we were like, we just moved into this building, the church gave us a really nice gift. And we want to do something with it, so we went. We only had a small TV. We went and bought a new TV. It's Panasonic, and then it was really cool. It's got the big screen HD TV, 42 inches diagonally, but it's one of those that's like 12 feet deep, you know. And you would put it up against your wall, and it's in the middle of the living room. And but at the time, at the time, it was cool, and it was great. And now some of you come over to our house and you look at our TV and say, "Oh, that's interesting." <clears throat> Not very flat, you know, and, 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 and but the same thing with iPhones and nooks and cars and shoes and appliances and computers. And, and we just get discontent when we're aware of all these new things. And we think we should have the newer, bigger, better, faster, shinier. And, and, and there's that discontentment. And it happens when we become aware of those things around us. Now, Sherry's dad, we just spent a week with them in Kauai. And Sherry's dad is a great guy. He's 82, 83 now, honey. 82, 83. And he's a great guy. But he had this tuxedo, a red tuxedo made, remember, right? Remember Bob? Yeah. Uh, this red tuxedo made in the 1970s. And it's a red tuxedo jacket. And in the 1970s, it was pretty cool. Today, it's not. But he thinks it is. And we go on cruises with them, and he wears his red jacket. And I say, I'm going to go sit over there. But, 
But it's, it, it looks good, he thinks. And, and here, but that's a different, that's a generational thing. His generation was all about making do. Keeping it, right? Until it wore out. It wasn't about anything else. It was keeping it. Uh, today, we don't replace things. We do what? We, we upgrade, right? I mean, our society has dictated how we live our lives. Think about it. We have this consumer mentality that we're to upgrade. Uh, we, we don't wait for something to break or wear out. We, we upgrade. When we moved into our house in Shoreview, excuse me, when I served the Roseville Covenant Church, this was 1990, uh, the house was a nice uh, ranch-style house, and it had a basement that was complete. It was really a, a neat little house. We loved it a lot. And in the garage, took up half the garage, was this snow thrower. 1961. And the guy that sold us the house said, I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to let you keep that. Again, it took up, it was like a, a, you know, a wheat thresher. That's how big it was. You know, you pull this thing, you know, the diesel smoke comes up and, 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 and I couldn't hardly move it, you know, and, and he said, it works great. And, and so I'm out there trying to maneuver this thing and my neighbor next door has this new bright, shiny red thing that he just zip, zip, zip and the snow's flying in my yard and everything. It's awesome. And I'm just going to, and, 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 and I said, I, I think I should get a, a new snow thrower. Sherry said, well, this one works. She wasn't out pushing it. This one works. I said, but, but then I wouldn't have one new one. You know, I want a new one, you know, and, and we have that that mentality. We always want the bigger, better, faster, shinier. We upgrade and we become aware of what we don't have. And now, now, here's the twist. Our desire for bigger, faster, shinier, newer is an appetite. Appetites are never fully satisfied. You have never eaten a meal and said, You've said you're satisfied, you're full, but you have never eaten a meal and said, I am fully and finally satisfied. Because you know in three hours, you're going to want a turkey sandwich, right? Even on Thanksgiving. So, uh, I think what we have to just accept the fact that this discontentment we have, this appetite we have for things, is just that. It's an appetite. It's not good or bad attached to it. It's no value judgment. It's just recognizing, okay, those, the desire to have the bigger, better, faster, shinier is an appetite. And no matter what you have, that appetite will never, never be fully satisfied. Oh, this is the last car I'll ever own. Well, no, it's not. This is the last house I'll ever have, or the last tuxedo jacket I'll ever own. Well, for my dad, it is. But, uh, but, but it would seem that, uh, that, we try to satisfy an appetite by feeding it. That's what makes common sense. If you have an appetite, you feed it. Uh, but the truth is that the more you, more you feed an appetite, the bigger it gets. Sex, stuff, money, power, advancement. The more you get, the more you want. Now, now here's the thing. Appetites, and we'll get to the scripture in just a minute. Appetites only shrink by depriving them. Okay, so how many of you have ever fasted for more than three days? Okay, a few of you, very few. Um, those, uh, I've done it, I think, twice in my life. When you come to the end of the second day of a fast, something remarkable happens. Anybody want to say? Yeah, you're not hungry anymore. You've, lo- you've really lost your appetite. Now, for most of us, 
every time we have a tickle of hunger or we see something that looks good, we eat it. Okay, immediately. We don't wait for an appetite. We don't, you know, we, we don't wait till we're hungry. We just eat when, we, when it's convenient. But when you, when you fast, you find that after a while, after you have denied yourself, you don't have that appetite anymore. And what I want to look at today in the scripture, and if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Timothy 6. And it's also in your sermon notes, and we'll put it up on the screen as well. But I want you to look, and this passage is so incredible because it talks about discontentment and how that is related to uh, our appetites. And then it talks about how it's related to being aware. Okay, so that's what we're going to look at today, recognizing that the fact that our desire for bigger, better, faster is an appetite, and the only way that we can deal with that appetite is to starve it. So that's just kind of by way of a, a preview. Let's look now at the text. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 to 11. We'll also, at the end, look at verses 18 and 19. Let's start with verses 6 through 11. Now, this is the word of God for Hope Covenant Church. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into the temptation and trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. That's pretty harsh words. Verse 10, for the love of money is a a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Verse 11, but you... Man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Now, this is a fascinating passage. It's a letter uh, to Timothy, Paul's young uh, protege, from the Apostle Paul. And here he addresses the subject of wealth. And we all know that three of the things that are talked about more than anything else in the Bible is money, sex, and power. The reason those things are preached on is because they're in the Bible, all over the Bible, and money is one of those things. So it addresses the idea of wealth and contentment. And it talks about this idea of discontentment is what drives us to purchase and consume what we don't need. Discontentment can also be, and this is what we're going to get to, discontentment can also be leverage for desiring good things. Okay, you're with me now? For instance, a discontentment over racial tension in the 1950s, that discontentment in a lot of people, both white and black, led to us doing something about it. See what I'm saying? Discontentment can be a good thing. Uh, If you're discontent about uh, the way your body looks, you may be motivated to go on a diet. Uh, If you're discontent about um, uh, something that's happening to teenage girls who are pregnant and there's no one to love them and care for them, you have them at your church and you treat them with love and grace and honor. Okay, so discontentment, something inside of you says, this isn't right, this isn't good, can lead you to do something good. So I want you to keep that in mind. So we're going to balance these two. Discontentment over stuff. I want more, bigger, better, faster, shinier. Discontentment over what we see in the world that's not working right. and having discontent. So that's what we're going to talk about, that kind of tension between those things. So, uh, in this text, there's a couple of concepts that, uh, 
that you've heard before, but maybe you didn't know they came from the Bible. And by the way, the Bible, this portion of the Bible was written over 2,000 years ago. What you hold in your lap or what you see and then sermon notes are up on the screen. This is something that was written over 2,000. It's incredible how relevant and how important it is today. So, look at verse 6 once again. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, when we think of great gain, we think of fat iris. We think of bigger, cooler, right? Shinier. We think of a big checking account, big savings account, good investments. When we think of great gain. What, what, what Paul is doing here is redefining great gain. He's saying, now great gain isn't about stuff. Because he'll say a little bit later, if it was about stuff, you'd be able to take that stuff with you to heaven. Right? If it really mattered, the stuff, you'd be able to take it with you to heaven. So he said, I'm going to redefine great gain. And here's what he says. Godliness with contentment. Now, now, godliness is literally allowing God to be first in your life. That's what the word actually means. Godliness. Uh, surrendering my life to God and becoming what God wants me to become. That's godliness. I said that, in conjunction with contentment, I'm eating and sleeping indoors, right? And now, for most of us, we have much more than that. But, I mean, that's the basics, right? I'm eating and sleeping indoors. Godliness, in conjunction with that, is great gain, is what he says. I mean, that's, you go to somebody's house and say, you know, I like your new car. It's cool. It's shiny. I like it. You know, but I'm content with my car. You know, I go to somebody's house. You know, that's really nice. I'm really, you're blessed. And it's wonderful. It's a beautiful home. But you know what? I'm content with my house. And, and that's kind of that, that, that contentment. Paul says there's great gain there. There's great gain. And again, if, if, if the stuff was to be what we were to gain, then we would have stuff to take with us to heaven. But instead, we take with us this idea of godliness and contentment. So if I, if I have great gain and I leave it all behind me, how can that possibly be great gain? So we want to rethink stuff. Uh, if we're eating and living indoors... The acquisition and pursuit of stuff. We want to rethink that. That's what Paul's saying in this text. And then verse 8. Look at verse 8. But if we have food and clothing, okay, that's eating and sleeping indoors. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Okay, now something in me when I read this says no. No. I mean, I'm part of a modern, progressive United States economy and society. There's something inside of me that says no, that's not true. That's not true. But then let me ask you this question. When in your life, some of you are younger, so it'll be harder to kind of determine this. When in your life were you the most content? When in your life were you the happiest and most engaged in life and the most content with your life? Now, if it had to do with stuff, bigger, brighter, shinier, better, if it had to do with that, I think all of us would have to say, today. But I'll bet you not one of you, when I asked that question, thought to yourself, well, today is the best day. Today is the day that I'm the most content in my life. Instead, what do we think of? When Sherry and I are asked this question, we always think of our years in seminary. Uh, she and I both worked part-time jobs. Uh, we lived in a small, dinky apartment. We were cranking out babies like there's no tomorrow. You know, all the stuff that you do. You know, maybe that's why we're content. I don't know. And, and so we were doing all... And, but we had nothing. We'd get an audio tape, we'd send it back and forth of our daughter, Tammy, who was, you know, she's just a little over a year, and she'd speak on the tape recorder, we'd mail it to mom and dad, mail it to my parents, and we did that to, so they could hear Tammy, but mostly we did that so they would send the tape back to us, hopefully with a $10 bill in it. 
And, and they did often. And, 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 and that was great. And today, a $10 bill, we can lose it. We don't even feel it. We don't even think about it. You know? And, and we, that was when we were... So if, if you really are honest with yourself, the time that you were most content in your life had nothing to do with stuff. Nothing. It had nothing to do with stuff. There was a time and a place where we, said, well, we were happy and we were engaged and we were serving God. And it was, it had, but it had nothing to do with stuff. So... So that's what Paul is saying in verse 8. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. And then look at verse 9. This is great. Verse 9 says, People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Now that word, get rich, it's a phrase actually in the Greek language. It means literally to live richly. It means to live as if you're rich. Now, most Americans live richly. We're not rich, but we live richly. That's what we call debt, right? We talked about that two weeks ago. Uh, we live, uh, we borrow on the future. And so we're living richly. That's, that's what it's talking about here. There's danger, beware, beware, wah, wah. You know, there's danger when you live richly. When everything is about bigger, better, shinier, faster, right? We fall into the temptation, a trap, Paul says, and, and says... And he says, by the way, this trap, it's not something that might happen, he says. It's something that will happen. All of us who have been bogged down with debt know the power of that. We know the trap and the, and the, 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 the sense of, oh no, what am I going to do now? We know the danger of that. And that's what Paul's reminding us of. I mean, Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago. It's like he's writing it to 2012 in the United States of America. It's just amazing. We live richly. We desire to live richly. And what Paul is saying here is that discontentment is dangerous. Your desires, which are appetites, they're not something that was God-given in terms of desires for stuff, bigger, better, faster, shinier. That is dangerous. Be very, very careful. If we allow an appetite to drive us to buy the next best thing, be very careful, Paul is saying. Now, this is danger for people that are poor, for middle class, for wealthy. It is danger for everyone. If your orientation is to live richly, Paul says, that is a trap. Now, there's a thousand examples of that. The one I keep coming back to is um, Mike Tyson. Uh, in a period of about four years, Mike Tyson, when he was uh, the heavyweight champion of the world and basically uh, beating everybody and eating their ears and stuff. Uh, Mike Tyson uh, made $120 million in about four years. Okay, most of you are saying, I could live on that, okay? Well, what you just did is you just, you know, you desired something, right? So, okay, $120 but and he lost $120 million in 10 years. It's an average of losing $12 million a year. Why? Well, it's very simply. He was always, and he says so, I'm always discontent with what I have. There's always something more. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, many of you have heard the phrase, money is the root of all evil. That's not true. It never has been true. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. But you will say, but I'm not in love with money. Okay? If we're honest, we might say that, but we would say this. 
I like it a lot. I'm dating it, you know. You know, I'm pretty infatuated with it, you know. But I'm not in love with money. Well, let me give you a little scenario. Um, when you were first in love, think about that first time you were in love. I remember when I, I was a senior in college when I fell in love with Sherry, and everything in my life was surrounded by thoughts of her. And it was hard to it was hard to think about quantum mechanics and all kinds of stuff. And, but I, I, everything was about. And I would do the most weird, crazy things to let her know how much I loved her. I'd I'd call her and talk on the phone for an hour. I mean, you could put a gun to my head today, and I wouldn't talk to anybody for an hour on the phone. And I would, and I would, she and I would talk until two, three in the morning. Then I'd drive home to my house and get up at five the next morning. You go to college and just do crazy stuff. And you do crazy stuff when you're in love, right? Now, let me ask this. Can you think of a crazy, dumb thing that you've done in your life to get something you really wanted? Like debt? Or leasing something that you didn't really have the money to pay for? In 1971, we'd been married for Actually, it was the end. I think it was the end of 1970. Anyway, we'd been married for a short time and we didn't have a television. And it was August, which means it's almost football season. And I thought I was going at the time I was going to uh, I was going to Bible college and Sherry was working part time. We didn't have very much money. And I decided that it would be wise for us to get a television because, after all, Sherry might want to watch something. Yeah. I spent, I didn't spend, I charged, first thing I ever charged in my life, I charged $300 for a television set. This is in 1971. You know what it was? It was a Sony Trinitron. It had a 12-inch screen. But it was color, and it was cool, and it was, and I remember thinking that, and, and later as I'm looking back on that, I think, man alive, that was really a stupid thing to do. You don't have any money and you're charging something? How, how stupid is that? Because of the desire. So if I were to be really honest with myself, I would say this. I love that, I love that television. And I love football. And I would do anything to get that. We have to be very careful that we recognize that the things that we love are the things that we worship. Welcome to America, right? Way to fall in love. The Bible says in verse 10 that there are many griefs that come because of that. The number one, re- number one cause for divorce in the United States of America is finances. I remember Sherry's dad started a business in the early 1960s, United Pacific Sales. It was a kind of a middleman operation. He did very well with it, and he had a partner by the name of Pete. And Pete was always the bigger, better, shinier guy. Dad was the guy that bought a red tuxedo and wore it for 40 years. This guy, new Jaguar came out, new Jaguar. Uh, new thing came out, new thing. Get tired of his wife, find a girlfriend. And so he's always spending, spending, spending. And that finally, literally destroyed their company. Dad had to sell out that company that he had built from his, with his bare hands and did really well because of somebody's bigger, better, shinier. Beware. There are many griefs that take place when we do that. The Bible also says, look at this last part of verse 10. This is amazing. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I can't tell you the number of people, my sister and her husband, her ex-husband for one, who were so in love with Jesus, but when they started making big money, they started drifting away and drifting away. And drifting away to today, they're divorced and their lives are a mess. And 
Be very careful, Paul says, when you allow something to become your God. Then verse 11, and this is where it gets really exciting. Verse 11. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Flee. I mean, just think about that. That word is a powerful word. Flee. Don't don't flirt with. Don't be careful. But flee. Don't get in a cage with a lion and then say, I'm going to be careful. Be very careful what you do with your money. Especially you young people that are just starting out. It's just trying to figure this out. When it comes to discontentment, flee from that. Run away from that. Run away from the idea that you have to always have the bigger, better, faster, shinier. Run away. Now, there's two powerful words in that verse. The one is flee. means run away. It's dangerous. Stay away. The other is pursue. Change your direction. Change what you're chasing after. Change your direction. Less aware of things and more aware of me. Godliness, faith, and love. Less time, less time surfing on the internet for the newest thing or walking through the mall and more time on me. Instead of discovering the better way to live, discover a better way to love. I want to be more discontent. I want to be more discontent with my lack of stuff. I want to be more discontent with recognizing that I don't need the bigger, better, shinier. I'll tell you what I want to be discontent with is my relationship to God. That's what I want to be discontent with. That's what I want to drive me. That's the appetite that I want. I want that appetite to be more in love with Jesus. Instead of that appetite to have the newest and best and the shiniest. I want an appetite to have, I want to love Jesus so much that that, that's all that matters to me. That's what I want for my life. That's what I want for your life. Intimacy with God. Some of you, and maybe you're here today because it's Mother's Day, I don't know. But some of you, maybe you've pulled away from the church because you've, had that boat on the weekend or that house on the weekend or you've got stuff going on, there's a time to say, you know what? No more. No more. I'm going to be discontent with stuff. And instead of that, I want to be discontent with my relationship with God. That's what I want. Look at verse 19 in your text. This amazing passage. Paul says to Timothy, and he says to Timothy, tell your people this. Command them to do good to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. And then look at one more verse in verse uh, 19. Listen to this. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Paul is saying basically this. Friends, believers, I know this wasn't intended by you, but this has happened. It's happened slowly. You've got caught up in the culture and everything. But you have discovered that there's something that you believe will give you life. And that thing that you think will give you life is bigger, better, shinier, brighter, nicer. But he's telling you, I'm telling you something else. I'm telling you something that will give you truly life. And that is the relationship that you have with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to be discontent with my discontentment about stuff. And I want to be discontent about my relationship with God. 
Now, what does that mean for me? Does that mean I, I maybe make a commitment? I'm going to go to church every Sunday. Or make a commitment in a couple of weeks on May 27th, I'm going to be baptized. I'm going to say to the world, this is it. I, I belong to Jesus and I don't care who knows it. I'm going to start reading my Bible every day. I'm going to start praying every day. But I am discontent with my, my relationship with God. And I'm going to stop being that. And I'm going to stop always making my discontentment want something more in life. Now, I want to close by this. Before I said discontentment is always linked to awareness. You're aware of a bigger house, bigger car, better car, shinier car. And, and so that's only, but it works in the godly way as well. Um, again, yesterday, um, at this, these 50 young women, some of them teenagers with babies, and uh, I, I talked to several of them that there, there are many of them that have never been told by a father or certainly a boyfriend or anyone in their life that, that they're beautiful and that they matter and that they are a princess. And that God loves them just the way they are. They don't have to prove anything. They don't have to try and get a guy. They don't have to do anything. They just have to be themselves. And these girls are discontent with their life. And what I want for them is I want an awareness in my life of what I can do to help them. I want an awareness in my life of what I can do uh, by, by ministering at Streetlight. I want to have an awareness in my life about what I can do to help at the Navajo. That's what I want to be discontent with. I want to be discontent with the things that, that are in me so deeply because of the love of Jesus that I want to make a difference. And, I want, and when you're aware of those things, so I've heard some of you say, I don't want to know anything about streetlight. It's, it's, it's too gross. You know what? Be aware of it. Find out about it because when you do, God won't let you go. When you find out these girls are being trafficked sexually. Yes, we can do something. We can make a difference. God is saying, pursue me. Don't pursue stuff. Pursue me. Pursue life. Pursue righteousness. Pursue generosity. Last uh, Christmas, Sherry and I were trying to decide what to do with Christmas. And uh, we are very blessed. And we have excess money. We have money that we don't need. And so, at Christmas, we always say, okay, here's our budget, here's what we're going to spend for Christmas, and then we spend that, and usually more, and we spend that, and, and we buy our kids and our grandkids and our friends stuff that, quite honestly, they don't need. <laughs> Come on. You know, our kids are middle class, too. They don't really need anything. But, but last year, we decided, well, we're going to give a different way. So we went through World Vision and World Relief, and we gave, like, uh, uh, Sherry's sister some, some, some chickens. Now, we didn't give her chickens, but in her honor, we bought chickens for world relief so that they could give them to somebody that could start a life. And, and now, I'm not, I'm not talking about how wonderful we are. We're not. We always struggle with greed and everything else just like you. But that was the best Christmas ever. Because we were aware of needs in our world, and it affected what we did with that $1,000. Instead of just giving that $1,000 to somebody, to somebody that doesn't really need it, we were aware of what God wanted to do with that. That's what this text is talking about. Fall in love with Jesus. Be discontent with your relationship with Jesus. Pursue God, not bigger, better, shinier, faster. This, brothers and sisters, is an absolute game changer. Be aware of the lost and broken people in your life. 
How can you leverage your time and your money to minister to them? Be aware of those people who have so, so much less than you. And that, that's not life. Paul says that's truly life. Now, four questions, and then we'll stop for today. Four questions. You want, might want to write these down in your bulletin. Number one, what's the source of your discontentment? Is it gadgets, cars, fashion, homes? I don't know. What's the source of your discontentment? Number two, what can you do to become less aware? Stay away from the mall, stay off the internet, I don't know, stay away from dealerships. Number three, what could you do this week to become more aware of what someone else in your life doesn't have? To the point that it bothers you. And number four, what should you become more discontent over your spiritual life, people that are lost, the amount of time that you spend in God's word. I don't know what it is for you, but God has called you not to life, but he has called you to truly life in him. Would you bow with me, please? Father, this message for me has been really difficult because I so easily could fall into the trap of bigger, better, brighter, shinier. It's in me. It's in the culture. It's all around me. I, Lord, I, what, and I want to be discontent with my discontentment. I want to say no, no more. What I want to be is discontent over the people who are lost and, and my own relationship with you and, and teenage girls that have no place to go. And those are the things I want to be content over because those are the things that are truly life. So, Father, we just thank you for this word from Paul, and we pray that you would allow this word to take root deep within our souls and cause us to literally change our lives for your kingdom. And we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. And all of God's people together said, Amen. Amen. Amen.